Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris. On today's Davis Cup Catch-Up, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. Emotional Murray puts GB on the brink. Spain are sent packing by Serbia. And the ITIA released their full findings on Simona Hallett. Chris, today is the 15th of September and we are here to catch up on the Davis Cup Finals group stage events in Manchester, episode number two at Tennis Weekly HQ. And yes, we're coming back out of the second GB tie, another victory for Great Britain and we are in control of our own destiny. That sounds like there's some sort of control over this. I feel like nobody is in control of what might happen <laughs> least of all players when it comes to who gets picked and if they get picked and what's going to happen mm. because we are heading for a mathematical nightmare nightmare yeah everyone I mean just to be honest on Sunday I think there needs to be an email that goes out to all the spectators that is basically like bring your calculator or bring a pen and piece of paper to kind of work it out because it is going to get very, very fine, isn't it? What about a big chart in the Davis Cup village? That might be something and you can put (laughs) different scenarios on there. I mean, we do get an email that makes it a bit clearer to Mm. us, but I'm not 100% sure because it needs to be updated live. You know, it's who won what game, what set. So at the moment, what we can say, Joel, is that for GB, it's looking promising. We haven't booked our flights to Malaga just yet, but yes, it's looking it's looking very, very promising indeed. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about GB's victory against Switzerland today. We're also going to be hearing from Stan Wawrinka about the Davis Cup format, a very, very hot topic. The first time he's spoken about it and been asked about it mm. since the tweets. In English press, I know, very exciting. And we're also going to hear from Andy Murray as well on the positioning of these neutral events, which were which was very fascinating, I thought. It wasn't something I had actually thought about until we got to interview him as part of press. Well, he's going to take my job in advertising and both of our jobs <laughs> in advertising. Know, it sounds like he's better at promoting... Maybe he can promote the podcast for us. We won't have him on. He'll tell us how to market it. We're going to be starting with the Simona Hallett case again because there was a big bombshell document that got released the other day a 126 page report i know chris you teased about talking about guadalajara and cancun but that is on the hold for the meanwhile so this this report that that dropped i know i've I actually sent you to manchester library to go to go read yes because uh, I, I i just didn't you know i just didn't have the time but uh what did you learn from this this mammoth report that that came out 
Well, yes, indeed. Um, I was told I need a book report to be done. I had to update on the pod. So, Joel, <laughs> this is what the final... It wasn't a picture book, so I wasn't interested. Exactly, exactly. No pictures, unfortunately. That's some, something we can recommend to the ITIA <laughs> that makes sure that they kind of try and keep Yeah, need a visual version. As good as is the... Is there a Kindle version as well? On, well, maybe. I can find out if I can get a format to you. I can get it <laughs> ring-bound, um, my notes from it. But... Yes, um, it really was a bombshell finding, and I think it does explain why there was such a long delay um, behind all of this, mm. because the nature of what is being looked at is not as simple as contamination anymore. Um, it's very clear that this was a very sophisticated approach towards doping, is what they are saying in their findings, um, that wasn't just relating to one prohibited substance and or mm. method of doping. And so that's where the piece of the puzzle had to be put together, mm. because... It's not as simple as just one thing. It's about looking at the evidence that you have as well as the pieces that are missing and trying to paint that picture. I mean, they were pushing for an even lengthier ban, weren't they, from just reading kind of the executive summary from the report, weren't they? Um, Yes, I think there is a lot to say that there would be a case that this was something that should be longer. And I think when you look at the outcry of, I can't believe that Sharapova got two years and it was four years for Halep, I think it's completely different. I think people, Mm. I really do recommend, we'll link it in um, the bio for the the description, sorry, for this episode, um, because it it does really explain things really well in terms of what happened. So um, in terms of the new pieces of information that we have, um, the story is very much, um, and something that we had not had revealed from Mortogalu or from um, Halep, is that the supplements did come from Mortogalu's academy and his team. This is something that happened, and the dates do very much coincide with when Halep split from her previous setup and joined the academy. Um, the dates that are in question um, and the dates that the, the verdict is on says that a sophisticated doping from March to September. Mm. Um, was what it, it looked like. And she did have her first trip, her first social post from Motoglu was on the, uh, the 4th, I believe, of March. And the statement that she joined was in April. Um, so there's a lot of things to unpack here. But she did describe that the uh, supplements um, did come from um, the Motoglu team. They were recommended to her, um, one to replace her electrolyte drink, one to replace her recovery drink, and then um, a keto MCT. Um, and so this is something that Halep said she's never heard of these before. She double-checked, she triple-checked to make sure this was fine. Mr. Mortoglu also checked um, to ensure that these were fine. But the difficulty that we have here, and something that kind of can't be ignored, is that the nature of how this revealed itself from a date perspective is that Halep did not disclose this at the time um, when she did take her tests. So this is something that is really important information is that it was excluded from the samples that were taken and also from the initial questioning that she had. She did not mention she was taking something. Um, And this does paint quite a different picture in the sense that it's not necessarily the case that there was no, um, there was no kind of way that she could have known and it was fully um, a contaminated item of something that she hadn't switched up, you know? It wasn't a contaminated batch, it was something new that you Mm. have to disclose. So that really does put a little bit of a different lens on it because that does paint the picture that she was misleading in her initial questioning around this when it was initially brought to her attention and only in cross-examination in October of that year did it come out that she had actually switched her supplements and this was something that she had been taking. I mean, is there an argument to say, because from what I've been reading, it feels like she changed her team setup, Muratoglu came in 
and then it all started essentially to go south in terms of this positive result came up is there a feeling that maybe she almost like Muratoglu is a big name he would never do anything like that to to my body to make me test positive and she almost kind of I guess like trusted him to just take care of the the supplement angle and that trust arguably maybe could have been misguided because it has now led to this situation where she has has been banned do you think do you feel like there's a sense that yes ultimately maybe this is Simona Halep's own unravelling because you know you are responsible for what putting whatever it is into your body but Muratoglu at the same time it feels like he's being dragged into this closer and closer than what was originally thought absolutely um and it does raise the question and this is something that I think we spoke about in terms of Darren Cahill and the approach that Mm. he's had to this he's been a character witness in this and this does come out although nothing that he said was of particular value because character witnesses don't necessarily play a big role when it comes to what the science and what the evidence is saying in terms of what they are testing and what they are finding but he's been very clear to make sure that in his time with Simona this was not the Simona Halep that he knew no. and I think that's something which does ask the question of would this situation have arisen had it not been for the swap Um, But the only thing I would say to kind of counter that and that does make this particularly personal is that the blood blood results in terms of what is expected here is that blood doping is also Mm -hmm. seen as highly likely. And so this is something that really does make the point. And when they do talk about the fact that the Roxetostat levels were too low for it to be performance enhancing, um, even Halep's own... um, kind of advisor in this sense um, and scientist who was providing evidence did say it could be microdosing Mm. Um, and so what the actual findings did say in the end was that it was highly likely um, that from the period of the 27th um, uh, of April 2022 to 22nd of September 2022 that the blood values were unknown but they really believe and they're satisfied with the finding that in March um, or around the time of the Wimbledon Championships and the US Open, that there was blood doping. Mm. So these are multiple ways of doing um, what would be described as cheating in order to be able to go under the radar. So it's a sophisticated approach that is to not be suspected from this. And that's something you know that was not made clear at the start mm. of this. And it does explain why it would be such a lengthy process because it's not just one type of... Um, yeah. For example, a prohibited substance. It's also the idea of blood doping that has been brought into question, and there's been a lot that's been talked about in this particularly um, that's come to light in this document. And if you're if you're looking at this from a Simona Hallett perspective, I think it's very clear that even with all of the defence that she's tried to throw into this and the way that she's responded to this, it is very damning. And there's a lot of evidence. I mean, what do you think, you know, now that this report has been released? And I will say, actually, I, I, I do, I am, I'm glad almost we've got such a sophisticated report because the, the process has been so long, there needed to be some sort of justification. I think we've got that in terms of this really detailed report. But what do you think this report has done to tennis fans? You know, we're seeing tennis fans literally read this document like it's their, their bedtime book. What do you think this document has done in terms of addressing you know Simona Halep um her, you know her legacy her identity because I feel like it was very let's say very polarized before this report got dropped out you know some people were you know still 
I stand with Simona, but some were very against it. But I still feel like it was maybe a little bit kind of 50-50 or close to 50-50. Now this report has come out, do you still feel like it's it's 50-50 or do you think the dial or the needle has shifted? I think for those who've read it and those who choose to read it and choose to believe that the ITIA, that they really are able to mm. um, conduct themselves in a non-corrupt, thorough um, and a, a really proper way of doing things, I think then it's, it's undeniable what's kind of probably gone on here. Um, in terms of Serena Williams, for example, she was silent until I think she saw this um, before we did. Um, and I think there's a reason why it wasn't just the verdict in the ban that was what Serena was waiting for. I think when you read this, it's very clear this was a sophisticated attempt mm. at doping. And unfortunately, in doping, bad dopers are the people who get caught. She did it, didn't do it in a way that didn't get caught. And I think if you do look at the final piece of this, this is the final thing that I, I probably will um, read in parts and verbatim, mm. but it does even mention kind of the use um, of players' own blood or matching donor blood for blood transfusions in addition to the use of roxidostat that led to the players' AAF for the passport. So that is something that we haven't talked about. I mean, blood transfusions is something that, you know, we, some mm. listeners might only know from, um, you know, Lance Armstrong or the days of that when it came to... To cycling, So this is something which said, and the final thing I'll say is that it did say that it was sophisticated and repetitive. So this couldn't be from a contaminated supplement because of the period of time it was over mm. and the levels that were found. So it's very hard to see if you read this fully. And for example, the comments from Maria Sakari about, you know, it's very kind of scary in some senses, you know, that if you take an electrolyte or you take a supplement that might be contaminated, this might happen to you. This was over a long period of time and there's no reason for players to worry in this way. If you were doing things properly, um, you will not be in this situation. Yeah, and I, I, I get the feeling that some people will put two and two together and think that, you know, where did these supplements come from? They came from the change in team, the change to, you know, Muratoglu's team. And I think it's interesting at the moment because they're both singing from the same hymn sheet in terms of mm. Murotoglu is very much, you know, leaping to the defences of Simona Hallett. Is there, like, a tension or a possibility that that could change if if we're kind of connecting the dots here and, and are, su- are suggesting that, you know, these supplements are coming from that, as I say, that, that change in, in team and dynamic that, that Simona Hallett did? Is there a chance maybe that Simona Halep could almost like, I don't know, turn on Muratoglu and try and change the, the story to be like, oh, hang on, Muratoglu and his academy, they, they gave me these supplements. I didn't know, I didn't know much about it. And, and, and almost kind of separate her from the team as opposed to just kind of being one, well, seemingly one you know, team on the same side of the argument at the moment. If you're Patrick Muratoglu, I think it makes even more sense to go as hard as he has done in this because... His reputation of his entire business is dependent on this. In terms of Simona Hallett, I mean, she's got almost the worst ban that she could have beyond a lifetime ban at this point. So she hasn't got much more to lose except for um, the fact that if she maintains her innocence, there's a percentage of the population that will mm. always believe that she is innocent. And so if she really does blame uh, the change in her coaching situation for this, then I do think we will see um, people turn on each other in this because... Ultimately, uh, she has got a lot less to lose now if people and the court of public opinion, as well as what the report is saying, shifts against her. It will just be the loyalists that will believe that she never did anything. Um, And again, there is she is able to appeal this. She does maintain her innocence. 
this is what the findings said from the ITIA. So there is um, an additional yeah. appeal court that she can go to. Um, but in terms of what is here, um, it's very strange, you know, seeing Patrick Motogolu out and about for UTS, you know, smiling and everything because and all the players who've been associated with the academy, mm. you have to you have to question. Well, yeah, I know. Well, that was going to be my kind of final final uh, question was going to be around the fact that, you know, I'm trying to kind of connect the dots here and I don't want to kind of jump to conclusions. But, you know, earlier on in the season, we saw Holger Runa mm. um, sort of, well, he kind of announced that him and Muratoglu were no longer working with each other. But I know like a few weeks later, we saw him in Runa's box. But you know, adding... You know, seeing that and adding in the fact that you know all of this has happened, it, what's what do you think the feeling is from from players who've been connected to Muratoglu, and do you feel like there's a sense that it's like, man, I might I might need to I might need to kind of cut ties with this guy because it feels like he's further and further implicated into this Simona Halep positive um, test around and doping, etc., and they just don't want to be a part of it because it could it could ultimately ruin their their career. Absolutely. I think at the time that they that Holger did start getting involved with Patrick, that was actually whilst Simona was suspended. Mm. So it was almost a project before she came back was very much how that was painted. Let me help you a little bit. It became a bit more of a, a long term thing. But in terms of some of the things that I've seen on social media from Holger's mother, for example, she posted, always remember people know exactly what they're doing. And that could be related to her son knowing that what's best for him is to, you know, go back to his childhood coach, which he has done now, but that was two weeks ago, and this was posted in her stories mm. in the last couple of days. So I think a lot of people have seen this. A lot of people will have questions about it. We don't know when people were privy to this being released, if it was before, but the nature of some of the accusations in here and some of the findings, such as even, you know, the use of kind of highly oxygenated blood during Wimbledon and the US Open, I mean, that's very similar in terms of the way that Sharapova used Madonium in terms of at mm. the Grand Slams, you know? And at the time it was legal, it was put on the illegal list, and then, therefore, she had to ban. Um, but this is something that's way more complicated than taking a substance that has just become illegal. This is sophisticated and complex efforts to enhance yourself, but also um, to not get caught. And um, if you are associated with this... I think you would think twice about how you associate with people because whatever way you look at it, Motoglu has not been transparent about his involvement mm. in this um, and neither has Halep in terms of what she knows with the authorities or with the general public. Yes, it's a very difficult and, and complex issue. And we will say, you know, Simona Halep, of course, is going through the appeal at the moment. This is not a final story. So uh, we'll have to wait and see. But listeners, if you want to read... Uh, the 126-page document that I've made Chris uh, read in in the Manchester Library. Um, We're going to put a link to it in our description. So just click on that if you want to read in full and get your own opinion on the matter. But that is the opinion of uh, Tennis Weekly from Tennis Weekly HQ. But now, moving back to the tennis, I'm slightly relieved now we can get back to talking about some actual live action. GB versus Switzerland today, Chris. Uh, GB coming out with the victory, two matches to one. This was a real nail-biter. It went down to the final the final match, the doubles. Andy Murray put us through the ringer with a three-hour-plus victory against a relatively unknown quantity in Leonardo Reedy. 
And we also had Skupski and Evans pull out the victory. Norrie, unfortunately, wasn't able to get it done against Vavrinka, but it was still a very good performance from the team nonetheless. Chris, let's start with the Andy Murray victory because this was three sets, 6-7, 6-4, 6-4. And it was, all, it was all very, very emotional, wasn't it? Because it turned out that he played this match on the day of his grandmother's funeral. And in in press, he basically said that he didn't tell anyone about this, he didn't tell Leon about this, and uh, it wasn't kind of factored in as a result to selection. And yeah, little did we know this, and, and he kind of broke down afterwards in in interview on court, and it all got it all got very emotional all of a sudden. Yeah, it did. It, I have to feel, you know, for kind of Naomi Brody, the, the question was cleared. It was about a fan um, mm. who was in the audience. It was her 90th birthday. She'd never seen a tennis match before. And obviously it hit home on what is a very difficult day for, for Murray. Yeah, it just triggered family. something there, didn't it? Absolutely. So I think um, he he let it all out. And I think it's what he needed. It's always hard being away from your family. So um, we are obviously thinking of his family at this very difficult time. Um, but in terms of the result, I mean, he did dedicate the win to her. So he said afterwards that his dad said to him, you know, get the win for her um, and do go on and play because that's what she would have wanted. So he did just that. He didn't do it the easy way. No, but, but we'd never ex- we never expected it to be the easy way, did we? I mean, at 5-2, I remember saying to you, I'm going to go get lunch um, in the first <laughs> set. And then turns out I didn't mm. until probably about an hour and a half later, it yeah. would seem. So I was more surprised because we... Spoiler alert, we did record earlier today. We found out the second we finished recording the lineup, and mm. I couldn't believe Andy Murray was on the billing. I was shocked. Yeah, you were expecting Jack Draper, weren't you? I thought Jack Draper would potentially be back, but um, I also thought Dan Evans might be back, mm. and then we did look up the head to head, so maybe there's some explanation there. But Andy Murray got to play, um, and he got the win. And he played, I mean, he didn't play the best I've ever seen Andy Murray play, but it was about getting the win today, I felt. Well, I wanted to talk to you about that because you were there in his last singles match against Grigor Dimitrov at the US Open. And and now you were obviously at this match. How did the two compare? Because they both, let's be honest, both of them were not vintage Murray performances. And I think on, on on that pod in Flushing Meadows, I was kind of saying that was probably up there with one of... Andy Murray's worst ever Grand Slam performances um, in singles against Grigor Dimitrov. How did the how did the two compare for you? I would say definitely the one in the US against Dimitrov. That was pretty painful to watch. I think seeing Andy Murray kind of not playing his game and the slice having mm. such a big impact on him in a court where he's had so much success in a billing of a match that people were very excited for. I think that was quite soul destroying to watch, and it must have been quite difficult for him playing that. So. I think this, on the other hand, um, it was a match where there were moments where he was kind of pretty solid. You know, he was 5-2 up, he was a break-up a a couple of times, actually, and wasn't able to consolidate. Um, And I think, for me, watching this, I think there was more of an interesting story at at work. You know, we have um, Leonardo Ridi, who obviously is unknown to many people, and Murray hadn't obviously seen him play, or even didn't even know that he was playing. They thought it would be Stricker. They yeah. really did. They, he was practicing with lefties ahead of this. So this seems to be a running theme. I swear, during the week, every, we, if this is All not the, the first time, this is not the first time we've had a player think, "Oh, I'm going to play this player." Therefore, all my practices are going to help me play this player, and then all of a sudden, uh, an hour before the team sheet gets ripped up, and it's a completely different player. 
I mean, it wasn't even discussed, he said, with him and Leon about mm. the thought that it could be Reedy. It wasn't even thought about. No, because you would have thought it was, okay, well, Hussler, if it's not going to be Stricker, Stricker, it's going to be Hustler. Exactly. If it's not going to be Hustler, it's going to be Stricker. Reedy just did not factor into the equation, did it? Exactly, and, and apparently the only time they talked about it was two minutes after it came out, was what Murray said in press. So, I mean, he's been in situations before, and, mm. and obviously that kind of maybe does put a different perspective on the match. But still, we have to give credit to Reedy in this match because... He could have gone down. He could have lost that first set. He could have dropped his head. He did it, and, and he kept swinging. And Murray gave him a lot of credit for the fact that I mean, his returns. Yeah, he said he said all of the guys were uh, on on the tour returned so deep now, and really kind of just stepped up and teed off, didn't he? Just really just I mean, he just, just dismantled. He just dismantled. Games. Murray didn't get a racket to a return. Yeah, I think there was one service game where he he just hit three clean winners um, off the. You know, off off the Murray serve, and and that's why it was so like almost topsy turvy because, as you said, consolidating breaks. It, it really was one of those matches where a break did not feel like it was a break until that person had consolidated it. Because I felt like Murray had gained the initiative on a few occasions, but regardless, I was still like worried about what Reedy was going to do on his serve because he was he was causing havoc at times. He really was, and looking at kind of the way that he was able to play, and then looking at what he's done on the tour. I mean, if they yeah. are poles like, poles apart. Yeah, really. we were looking at some of the results, and I mean, what he's you know he's around oh, what 160, 170 in the world. He has been playing on the challenger circuit, but you know he's had some you know he's had some defeats to some other British players. I mean, he had a loss to Ryan Pennison. Yes, um, in the Challenger Tour, people. he also yeah. lost, um, to, I think, the first round of Indian Wells 6-1, 6-1 to Jack Draper, no less. Mm. So I think um, he really stepped up uh, and played some remarkable tennis. I would say, if we're talking selection, I'm not saying that Andy Murray's a bad selection. I think dropping Jack Draper is an unusual choice at, the, at this mm. stage. But I mean, there were no physical issues with Jack Draper because Leon Smith cleared that up in press conference and yeah. said it was, it was purely strategic... There was nothing to it wasn't it wasn't to do with, you know, Jack Draper and, you know, his body and, and how he held up after, you know, quite a lengthy first singles match that he had. Well he had the luxury of a rest day as well, so yeah. you'd be particularly concerned mm. if you didn't see him and that's why the question was asked, I yeah. think. So if it was the next day, you wouldn't ask the question. Um but in terms of the Swiss selection, you've got to think that the Murray match playing Reedy was slightly unusual as mm. a choice. You've never seen him kind of take out a, a high ranked player. And then on the other side of things, um, you also have to look at the fact that in that doubles match before we actually got here, um, they didn't play the the title winning pair from um, Gestad, which was Stan and Stricker. Mm. So there's been some odd choices from the Swiss. And when it comes down to the wire, I think this will be one where they think, you know what, that Andy Murray who played today might not have got past Stricker because Stricker pushed Manorino. So we're in this sort of weird kind of game of, this person might beat this person, that one might beat that, and then we had this complete wild card today in terms of selection. Definitely, and it's it's fascinating because the fact that, you know, you've got a whole squad, there's lots of different uh, matches and, and ties to play, and you really have to go into the, the depths of your squad and all those different combinations that, you know, a captain is, is pressured into making these decisions and is pressured into being like, I've got to make the right decision here. And uh, certainly, I think there were potentially missed opportunities for Switzerland. I mean, they did come back in the second tie with Stan Vavrinka uh, pulling out the victory against Cam Norrie. Vavrinka, I mean, he served he served remarkably. 
He was looking and feeling good. So good, in fact, that he actually was like, I'm going to, I need to play the doubles now because he, he brought it back to one all. And um, yeah, he, he swapped, he, he was swapped in, didn't do the, the press on court. And, uh, you know, he was, he was fit and firing and ready to go. He was indeed. And um, in this match, he was 4-2 down in that second set. I thought Nori was going to take it to three. I thought maybe mm. the doubles wouldn't be um, the decider. And it, it has been the decider so many times this week, apart from in that three-love um, win for the Swiss. So Stan showing that he can still get it done. But I guess it still comes down to the question of, uh, I was not expecting to see two new players playing for GB. <laughs> you know, And Leon made a point to say in press that they have now played everybody. Yeah, you know, yeah. and but at the same time, it's not necessarily about giving everyone a fair shot. It's about playing the right team. So I'm a little bit on the fence about some of the selections. Yeah, I mean, it was it was tricky because I think if you were going to play Murray in that first match, you look at the head to head: Dan Evans versus Stan Wawrinka. It is five zero to Stan the man. So it's almost like you're backed into a corner there in terms of right. Oh, well, I ha- you know I have to play Cam Norrie, but I think you know we spoke about it earlier. I think it does raise that interesting question of the fact that yes, on paper Cam Norrie is the highest ranked Brit, and you would probably back him. Mm. However, you'd arguably say Dan Evans has had the better form of late, and regardless of his head to head against Stan, I think there's certainly a debate there in terms of you know actually. Regardless of that, I think you know Dan's playing the better singles tennis at the moment. Should he have been the the right call? Yeah, and I mean you're put in a tricky situation because if you put Dan in at number one, that means you can't play Nori because Nori's ranked up more no. highly at the moment. Yeah. So it is tricky. You could have played Murray at number one, and you could have played Draper at number two. That could have been an option. Um, but so I, many options. Well, I mean, so many options, <laughs> but you don't have to do every option. Is kind no. of the thing here, and I think this feels like what you do when your team have played the day before, you've got to get back on court and you're sharing the load so that everyone's able to support the team when people might not have the energy from a three-hour match like Murray played today. If they were playing tomorrow, you'd sub in your next lot. So mm. it does feel slightly unusual in that sense because there's been so much time compared to other teams in preparation for this. But um, in terms of Norrie, I think looking onto the, the final one, I think it's as, uh, as we look at um, the doubles... Um, I think it will be hard to find, you know, a spot maybe in in some of the matches in some of the Davis Cup mm. unless his form unless picks, his form up, picks up, up in, in yeah. other in other tournaments before Malaga. If Malaga happens, don't want to tempt fate. But the doubles, I mean, what did you make of the, the doubles pair today? Yeah, I mean, Skopski and Evans, they were on a different level. I think you know for Switzerland, yes, Stan subbed himself in. That was probably the best doubles well actually no it wasn't Stan and Stricker you know they they played together before and, and won a title maybe that was the better pairing but I regardless I think Skupski and Evans they've got such great team ethic I think they work well together and uh, they were just on another level I thought to uh to Vavrinka and, and Hussler. Yeah, absolutely. And um I actually caused a bit of a problem by accident by suggesting they play more frequently together. Um, to which obviously Skupski said I, I have a partner who <laughs> was confused it's going well and I thought more like Olympics a bit of British success <laughs> um, but yeah that was a bit of a red herring there so it was a very competent doubles performance and well, it, it needed to be because you know they needed to get the job done there because it went to the you know it was a doubles decider and you know with this format and with the way that the results have gone every tie counts and that would have been a very big missed opportunity if we hadn't pulled out that victory against Switzerland, which, you know, France had defeated 3-0. 
Yeah, and I mean, to be honest, that Murray match after that first set, mm. it really, there were times in that where it looked like that might have been a defeat. And then mm. if, if big ifs and buts and maybes, but then if Stan had got that win, it could have been a very different story. And I think we see this so often that even now, after two losses um, for Switzerland, you know, no one's out yet. No one's out, no one's through. It's surprising because if, if you look at some of the other uh, cities where Davis Cup is going on, there is not, um, you know, there, there yeah, there, there are already people situations. Are, people are, the graphics have come out. It says, welcome to Malaga. Yeah, See exactly. you there, you know. We're, we're having to put those on ice They can at the get moment. the cheap flights. We can't, Joel. <laughs> but, I mean, just talking on, on Stan, because he's had a lot to say, um, you know, so far this tournament, particularly around, you know, the format and the stadium, you know, playing France in front of 50 people and now going to this when there's 9,000 in the arena. He's been very kind of vocal on this and you know, we got the opportunity to speak to him about you know what he thinks um, about the whole Davis Cup format comparing it to the old format as well and this is what he had to say Yes, it's five years that this format doesn't work to have a full, full house in every match uh, it's normal when you play Switzerland against friends in, in Manchester of course it's going to be empty uh, uh, they have to come back to the old format uh, maybe they need to find some a bit new, uh, that for sure, but for sure for me Davis Cup was always about playing uh, home and away. Uh, When I was young I dreamed about playing Davis Cup, to play for Switzerland in the team and also to play in front of a few fans and a few few crowds. So for me it's always been about playing home and away and we see the difference uh, between today and uh, three days ago in France. It's not normal, I would say. I played some challenger this year. It was way more people and way more better atmosphere than when we played France. So for sure, there's something wrong with this format. I mean, he has softened slightly. I think he was obviously quite firm in what he said. I mean, the facts remain. He still hates it. He's played challengers. He's had five years, four years away and played since 2015. So... It's been a really long break for him, actually. It's not five years. It's awful maths. This is why I have, can't figure out who's going to qualify. But um, it's been a break, and this was his first match back, and it was mm. in front of a handful of people in Manchester for, you know, France versus Switzerland. And that's such a shame, and I think that's probably why, you know, people maybe thought he was being a bit too critical. But actually, I think you need to shine a light on this because it is a hot topic. It is a big issue, and it's only become a bigger issue, as we'll talk about in a second. But... Yeah, he's played challenges with better atmospheres. And when you dream of playing for your country, you dream of playing in front of crowds that support you. It's the home and away fixture. You know, your team travel to one destination mm. for that. And um, Australia also really suffered from this, obviously, because it's a, such a long way for people to go when it comes to some of these European mm. destinations where it always is, it seems to be. So for him, it doesn't work. He really thinks that either, you know, it's an old format or a new format. He's open to something improved um, but not this but not this and I think that's um, definitely a sentiment that we also <laughs> heard when we um, were impressed with Andy Murray after that victory that he had and again um, it was it was pretty pretty damning in terms of the nature of how it will work and we'll hear from her now I'm not on the player council um, and you know I haven't had any discussions about it um, so I don't know to be honest but I'm pretty sure they will because you know the players are obviously well we are not because we're playing at home but 
it'll be interesting to see what happens with the finals as well. If Spain aren't there, what that what that's going to look like, you know, how many seats and everything, or tickets are going to be able to s sell. And the thing that I do find a little bit strange, and I, I, this is just my perception, I actually don't know if this is the case, but like the, all of the promotion and stuff around this event, like I've seen has been with like all the British players and stuff, um, and the British team. Um, whereas you've got like great players playing, like Stan, for example. I don't know, like around the city, if it's sort of you know people are aware that you know he's he's playing because you just see the you know the, the British players. Um, that, that may not be the case. I just know if there was like a 250 event in Manchester, like Stan would be getting promoted, like that he's playing in the event. Um, you know, people want to come and watch him, so. I don't know, something like that would help, you know, sell a few more tickets to some neutral um, fans, but yeah, I think I, I, my feeling is it needs to change. I thought it was a very interesting take from him in terms of how these venues and how these events are positioned and marketed because he felt that almost like there's too much focus on the home nations and there was no focus on, on any other players being involved. And for example, the fact that, that Stan Wawrinka was here, you know, former Grand Slam, multiple Grand Slam champion. And, you know, it's arguably to say that, you know, spectators might not, might not realise actually, it's it's not just like you should be here for the, you know, the, the hope, the, you know, the home hopes or whatever. There's some quality tennis players also on show. And I think from Murray's press conference, it almost sounded like he felt like Manchester maybe missed a trick in terms of talking or, or celebrating and championing players not just from the the home venue yeah i think this has definitely had more marketing that's focused on the british players i think when we had glasgow there was a big effort you know, to put multiple people from each nation yeah. on the posters i have seen alex de Menal in a station on a billboard but at the same time um it's almost like the way to make this a success is to sell ten thousand tickets for one day it's not to sell 2000 for a home match there aren't targets for no. so not the home match for the non-host matches so the neutral matches so I think they have missed a trick I think you could definitely get some people who are tennis fans who'd love to see Stan play tennis um, so I think I mean it's only become more of an issue because you know in Spain the big result is that Spain the host nation of the finals in Malaga yeah. as Murray mentioned there they they, are, they aren't in they've been knocked out so there's no Carlos Alcaraz there's no Rafael Nadal and um, those who bought their tickets might not fa it's fancy their tickets, and it's going to be a real challenge. And this might be, you know, the, the straw that breaks the camel's back. Yes, it, it might do. But I think what's so fascinating about the fact that Spain are out is that it is going to be a truly neutral venue now for all of the all of the countries that well, are going to make it Britain. to Malaga. You know, we do love a trip to Spain. There'll be a lot of Brits there, I'm sure. They'll be there anyway, Malaga. Yeah, there will be. But but as I said, Spain won't be there. So... We're the home nation. Well, if we yeah. Make it, there, if we make it, is... if we make it. But it's like, it's funny because it's like, you know, we talk about this as like the World Cup of tennis and, you know, in the World Cup of football, you know, the host automatically qualifies for the main event. That doesn't happen in, in Davis Cup. And as a result, the... The product, the 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 event has has almost kind of had an own goal using using football analogies because PK. because I mean honestly, what is going to happen now? This this sort of event at the end of the season, 
final event of the season. You know, this is meant to be like the last last hurrah before you know we can start to look forward to you know twenty twenty four and and the new season. And without Spain, it's, it's it feels like we're gonna again just be. Could it be like loads of empty seats in big stadia and and quality players on the tennis court? Yeah, I think it's gonna be a real eye opener when it comes to the format. And I think there won't be many people there. Um, the players won't be very motivated to be there. They love playing mm. for their country and Stan always makes that clear. Murray makes that clear. If they're fit, they're going to make themselves available and if they get selected, they're going to play. Um, but the difficulty is that this isn't what Davis Cup is about. It's not about playing for no. a handful of Spanish fans no. in a city where people aren't necessarily um, buying tickets. That's, that's not what will make this event a success. That's not the spirit of Davis Cup. Um, and I think this has been an experiment that has unfortunately gone quite badly wrong. Yeah. And it's time that the format's looked at. It's time that the calendar nature of it's looked at. Um, should it be every year? Should it be in November? I when? mean, this already feels like this should be the full stop. The fact that Spain aren't going to be there. If it's if this isn't going to make change happen, and then I'm, I'm not will? really sure what will. Yeah, I agree. But um, obviously the girls for GB did not qualify for the Billie Jean King Cup finals last year, but they were given a wild card. So that did allow for a little bit more um, excitement around the event. Mm. And they did do a pretty good job of trying to market it. Um, Are you trying to get Spain back in on a wild card? Is that what you're trying to do? Um, (laughs) Yes, I I think I might be. But nine doesn't work for two groups or a knockout, (laughs) does it? That would be a bit... Maybe they go straight through to the semi-finals. Maybe we, I mean, it's all a very yeah. odd format anyway. No one understands the different cities, so why not just put them in the semis? Well, I mean, just before we go to a quick break, I mean, as you just touched on Rafael Nadal, I mean, I think this was earmarked as potentially one of the dates he could make a, you know, could make a comeback. Whether that was in a playing comeback, maybe probably a bit too ambitious. But even just kind of seeing him in the crowds would have been great. But almost now, or maybe you even need him now more than ever because. There's not really going to be much interest otherwise, is there? I I think now more than ever, Rafa, if you hear us, yeah. please, please um, turn up the, for his signing, Malaga. His entrance fee, sorry, his uh, appearance fee is skyrocketed now that Spain are out. Well, I mean, they're not going to make a profit, you know. <laughs> they wouldn't make a profit before, so why mm. not really not make a profit? Right, Rafa, if you're hearing this, yes, you, you need to be there. We need the crowds in, so... Uh, Hope to see you in Malaga, but uh, (laughs) yeah, we're going to have to wait and see. But uh, we're going to take a quick break now, but join us in the second half where we're going to look back on Australia versus France. So do not go anywhere. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Welcome back to the Tennis Weekly Podcast, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to all the rest of the action from the Davis Cup, Chris. And before we get into what else has been going on in Manchester, Australia versus France, I just want to quickly pick up on ties elsewhere, and particularly a moment in the USA-Netherlands match very tight match. Netherlands coming through 2-1 in the tie. But Francis Tiafo, big moment um, at the end of this match against Tannel Griegspor, where effectively he got a point penalty on match point, didn't play it, and uh, had, to, had to concede the match. Yes, it was very dramatic. And I think when the news first broke, we didn't have the footage of it. So we almost read it as kind of he was defaulted. He wasn't defaulted the match. It was a point penalty at match points. It's still not really in Francis Tiafoe's character though, I feel. No, I mean, at times we've seen him get frustrated at certain things and I think the point of the match, having played for that long in a final set tiebreak mm. for a ruling not to go a little bit more even uh, in the sense that what happened was there was a serve, the serve was a, a good serve that was called out, was challenged and it was in and that was at 5-2 in the tiebreak and Griegspoor was up. Um, and then what happened was the response from TFO was very much um, quite explosive in terms of a bracket smashing. Um, he really thought the point should have been replayed and the outcall did interfere with his shot. Um, and therefore, at 6-2, he was defaulted the point and the match. So, I mean, it does, it's kind of reminiscent of that Clijsters versus Serena um, semi-final where it wasn't, um, it was so close to the end of the match, there was a point that therefore meant that the match was therefore over, yeah. you know, and... Um, it's uh, I mean, it's a very big deal in that sense um, because it, the timing of it makes all the difference. But we have slightly different opinions. As yeah, well. I I'm not gonna lie. I think it should have been replayed. I, I've watched it over and over, and I thought the outcall came before it hit Tiafoe's racket, and therefore in his mind he was like, "Well, this this point is dead. I'm just gonna hit the ball into the net." And as a result, I think personally it should have been replayed. And mm. I I yeah, I think the umpire got it wrong. I can understand. Tiafo's reaction because it was a very you know, pivotal moment. I mean, USA they lost the tie essentially, and uh, you know they have to get they have to go again in order to qualify for Malaga. And you know, Tiafo, I think he's now zero and two this week um, on in his singles. So um, yeah, it was a, definitely a, a pressure pressurized moment. But yeah, I I think it should have been replayed. I I'm kind of on a little bit on the fence here because I really believe that. Um, umpires shouldn't change the course of a match. They're there to facilitate the match, to make sure that it runs and everything is fair and, fair and equal. Um, in this case, I think you do have to allow for the, the point at which you are in the match um, because this is such a big point. I think you have to be really sure that what you're doing mm. is the right call. And it, these calls are so hard to know if it is the right call. So what makes the difference taking the point away from... Uh, in this case TFO or giving another first serve it's not like you're losing a first serve in this so I think if I was the umpire I probably would have replayed the point only because I'm not sure how the umpires make the call when it happens so quickly and then you see it once you know but I can understand the call from the umpire I wouldn't have made the call they needed the video they needed the video review from the US Open to uh, to help to help from um, the Rugby World Cup (laughs) (laughs) exactly well um, yeah it was a very interesting situation but uh, yeah it still feels like a lot of the big nations yeah they are right in the thick of it at the moment not that easy not that easy going and another big nation that has really kind of battled back from the brink is Australia Australia versus France um, that was yesterday 
And uh, yeah, Australia coming through 2-1. They were 1-0 down. Uh, Manorino had defeated Purcell um, in the first match, in the singles match, 7-6-6-4. I mean, Chris, just just talk about uh, like this tie and the fact that Australia to me got the the shortest shrift in terms of in terms of scheduling. Like they were on late against GB and then they're up early next morning for France. Arguably the two toughest ties in the group. This was an impressive result given that quick turnaround. Unbelievable, and I think it shows that Australian fighting spirit because if you look at it, you you lost the first rubber, having lost the night before. And then you enter that tie break and all the pressure is on Alex de Minaur in that moment because... Yeah. It was uh, now or never. Well, you asked him that. It's now yeah. or never. This is make or break. And he was like, yeah, it really was. And he really did kind of assert that. So I think as annoyed as Hewitt might have been with kind of some of my questions that I before, I think really he was able to make the point that this, this was the worst draw you could have. Playing mm. the top two nations back to back. Your doubles player finishing late in the evening. He's, he is your singles player for the next day. You're in, that's a that's less than ideal. In fact, that's beyond less than ideal mm. um, in terms of uh, what you what you're dealt with, um, which is a, a big problem. Obviously, um, it's a tough one for the French because they did have you know a great start in this one. They have got the three 0 yeah. win over Switzerland, um, but in the doubles, Australia once again proved that they've got the best doubles pair here. Yes, I, I I agree. I think they've got the best doubles pair. I will just say on France, I think they've got arguably maybe the best number two player because Manorino in that number two spot at the beginning that is a very I mean he's having a great season I actually thought he was he was number one not uh, Ugo Umber but to see him come through against yeah Purcell he's a very awkward tricky customer and uh, that was an impressive win to kick them off and yeah they will be disappointed they weren't able to get to, to pull through well he's loving it out there he really really is um he asked was asked about the conditions um something that we've talked about a lot with them in the press to varying different answers but uh for, for him he said it's almost like this court was built for him essentially because <laughs> it's so low it's so yeah. flat um and it just works so well for him you know he has a flat awkward game um and it's, it's great on grass and it feels like the ball stays so mm. low and um, in terms of the, the ranking side of things there's a couple of questions I've got here so Manorino is at 34 in the world and just two spots behind him is Umber so that's actually quite interesting because it gives you um, you know is that a benefit having Manorino at two um, and not at one and then the second thing is that there is kind of a noticeable mm. absence from the Australian team, but not the Australian bench because Alexei Popperin is actually there. Um, and in the live rankings, he's actually at a career high at the moment. Mm. He's he, here as a hitting partner. Yeah. He's a bit, bit odd. Yeah, he's actually at 45. Um, he's just come off a career high ranking of around, you know, 40 in the world. Um, so that is something that is quite surprising because he is ranked above um, Purcell. Um, or very much thereabouts, and that could actually allow Purcell to have a little bit of rest, you know, if you are splitting that load. So it's interesting some of the selection side of things because um, I'm not sure that the best players have played in every singles for Australia so far, or the best players for that moment. Definitely, and uh, yeah, Max Purcell definitely getting in the uh, definitely getting in the the meters on court because yeah, he's been playing singles, he's been playing doubles as well, and as you said, the the pairing of Purcell and Ebden is it feels like a real trump card, I think, Undeniable for Australia. Quality. Unbelievable quality, uh, you know, doubles players, um, Wimbledon Wimbledon champions, yeah. um, 
And, uh, you know, they played against Roger, Roger Vasselin and Nicola Mahu, who, let's be honest, they were no slouches in their day. They were a fantastic team. But certainly now in that kind of veteran moment, I didn't actually realise how old Nicola Mahu is. Um, he's 41 years old, Chris. I mean, it's still impressive to see him on the, on the tennis court. But um, it felt like this was like a... This is like the new generation of top doubles team versus a, a generation of, of doubles team that is probably a little bit on the way out. I would say the sharpness um, was very much there. I think it might have been a different result had it have been um, and had kind of um, Mahou um, and Pierre uh, Husseva, had they been playing together, I do think they just came off a semi-final at mm. the US Open, but there was no kind of form or them playing together because of um, the nature of the rankings and where they both are at their careers at the moment. So that that could have maybe made it a bit closer, but I mean... We're talking about players at the top of their game here. I mean, we've got Purcell playing fantastic in the singles court. He was so dialed in on return. And Matt Ebden, fresh from a US Open final. So um, they're going to be really tricky um, to beat. And you wouldn't think that Australia is going to lose any tie 3-0 going into no. the Swiss tie. That they're I, I, am, I am worried about... We're going to need... To, I think we're going to need to get the calculators out, aren't we? Because this result has really kind of put the... The cat amongst the pigeons. Yeah, the cat it? amongst the pigeons took the words out of my mouth. I think this is <laughs> partly what we live for when it comes to these competition formats, yeah. but it really does make the point and why kind of um, Captain Leighton Hewitt made such a big deal, and so did um, De Minard, that, that straight sets result in the doubles is so important mm. because it does mean that when it comes down to um, rubbers for and against in a tie, if it's 2-1, you'll look at the number yeah. of sets. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's so important to, to look at that. So... The 3-0 against Switzerland is going to play a role for mm-hmm. France. If France get a victory over us, it's all going to get a little bit complicated. And Joel, we're here for it. I know. And uh, yeah, I think Australia will also be a little bit relieved. Now they actually have a day off. They have a day off in the Davis Cup. Yeah, they do indeed. <laughs> I mean, um, rejoice. I mean, Max Purcell, please, please don't do any tennis today. <laughs> I know. So we, so all we, all we have left, we've got two ties. We've got Australia versus Switzerland and GB versus France. What are you thinking in terms of... Because you, you, you keep talking to me. We go to the pub afterwards. You keep talking to me about how you're the best strategist when it comes to planning teams Yes. Uh, for, for Davis Cup and who you'd play in the singles and doubles. What are you expecting from Switzerland versus Australia and GB versus France? I mean, that is a great question. I think GB versus France, we talk about that one first. We've debated this a lot in terms yep. of... You know, Draper Manorino, that's a very sort of tricky ask. If, mm. if I could pick someone to play... Are we going to see Andy Murray? I don't think we're going to see... You don't think so? Andy Murray, definitely not in singles. Um, I think potentially Draper Manorino will be a very tough matchup. You want to play Cam Norrie in that one, but you can't because mm. he's our highest ranked player. Mm. So therefore, I think you... Awkward versus awkward. Absolutely. So then the question would be whether you would play Dan Evans as number two, Norrie as number one for that one. Um, and then Dan Evans is probably the best chance on of double. beating yeah. Manorino yeah. and then he also plays the doubles because um, I think you've got to win you've got to win two in that one I think winning three might be a bit of a tricky ask so if I had to say I think that might be an interesting way of doing it um, I think a lot of it obviously hinges on performances throughout the week and then in terms of the, the Australia match I mean I think it'll be interesting to see who they do for the second singles that would be yeah. interesting. I think, would you put Kokonakis back in the mix after what's happened to him from a mental perspective? 
I'm not sure. They've um, not used Jordan Thompson yet. They haven't used Jordan Thompson yet. I would, I'd probably go Purcell again. Mm. He, played, he played well. Manorino just played very, mm. very well. So that's what I'd say. But again, if Draper keeps delivering, why would you take him out? Why would you swap a winning formula? Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. And who knows? It may come down to the captain's picks because, yeah, there's. it feels like all the benches have like different options available. So it does really bring into the... I think the decision-making pre-tie happening um, that makes it so... that could have the biggest difference on whether a team ultimately goes to Malaga or not. So we're going to have to... We're going to have to wait and see, as usual. But we're going to end it there. Listeners, I hope you've enjoyed our second Davis Cup catch-up with the Tennis Weekly podcast in Manchester. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up-to-date on all the action to come from the ATP and WTA tours. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all major podcasting platforms out there. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on social media and email the show. You can see all of the action from behind the scenes at the Davis Cup and we're posting clips not only just from Manchester, but also from Denmark. Tennis Weekly is taking over Europe. We have also represented at Denmark versus Brazil, where we're hoping to speak to world number four, Holger Rune. Are we going to speak to Freddie Nielsen again? I can confirm we've already spoken to Freddie Nielsen. We have an exclusive on his feelings about mm. the Copenhagen Open pickleball tournament. Oh, big, big scoop there. That is a big scoop. Um, we're expecting that to really hit all the headlines um, <laughs> in all media rooms where tennis is being played. But yes, do follow us. We'll have a lot of content coming out um, both during the weekend and next week. But we're on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, X, formerly known as Twitter, at the handle at Tennis Weekly Pod. You can always purchase Tennis Weekly merch at etsy.com slash shop slash Tennis Weekly Podcast. You can also email the show tennisweeklypod at gmail.com. And finally, you can check out our website tennisweekly.co.uk. And we will be back on Sunday for our final Davis Cup catch-up from Manchester at Tennis Weekly HQ. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.